0: Just give
1: me like a brief intro over who you are and what you do. Okay, so name is Joel Goldberg, television broadcaster with the Kansas City Royals, uh, motivational speaker, podcast host.
0: You've been involved in um, sports broadcasting for like 20 years, 30 years? years, 29
1: years, almost 30 years. It'll be 29 this month. It is 29 this month. Um, Here for 16. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I guess I I call it 16. 15 and a half years here, 16 full seasons. Got it. and then the, the kind of switch, I think, to how I've ended up, you know, I, I think the fun thing about everything outside of the sports world is you meet people yeah, like you, like you know, just um, that I was never meeting before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're, we're pretty, I think we, we can be fairly siloed in the sports world. I started a speaking business seven years ago, really knowing nothing about what I was doing. Got it. Just a suggestion from someone, you know, what do you do in the off season? "Ah, A little this, a little that. I'm speaking to some group. You do a lot of that? Not really. You know, you could start a business doing that. I had no idea.
0: Tell me a little bit about your background and how you ended up in Kansas City. Like, how did you end up here?
1: So it was not by accident. It was not necessarily on the wish list per se, but I was working in St. Louis before here, which was the third television market I'd worked at. I had two different, two different jobs there. The first one, the first six years was the local Fox affiliate, so I was doing sports on the news. The last three years was with the regional sports network, then Fox Sports Midwest. There were essentially three of us that shared the responsibilities of what I now do in Kansas City, meaning somebody hosted the pre and post game shows for St. Louis Cardinals baseball, Someone traveled with the team and reported, and we sort of traded off with all of that. The same network that I was working for, Fox Sports Midwest, took over the rights or won the rights to the Kansas City Royals beginning in 2008. When that started to go down in 2007, I started to inquire about it. The not by accident piece is that my wife grew up here. Now, she had long moved away. I mean, she moved away when she was 11 years old. So it had been years. However, her sister, and brother in law settled here. Their kids were born here. So I was coming here with my wife, or not even before we were married, um, when our eventual niece and nephew were born. And we were coming here, you know, a couple times a year for family trips and holidays and all of that. So when it came to my attention that my employer was taking over the rights to Royals baseball, I thought, ooh, I know Kansas City seems like it'd be a good place to live and it's a better job. And that all played out. So,
0: But, I mean, so you came over here. You started getting involved with the Royals in, what, 2000 2008, yeah. 2008. So you got to watch that entire meteor kind of rise to the, the world championship.
1: Yeah, and that was, you know, without knowing it initially, when I started my speaking business and it was suggested to me, you know, you could, you could start a business on the side, a side hustle. It became a main hustle, 1A, 1B with baseball. To me, then it was, well, what do I speak about? Wait a minute. I just watched an organization, and this doesn't have to be a sports thing. But I just watched an organization go from the laughing stock of baseball to world champion. How do they do it? You know, in a smaller market where you can't just go and spend all that money. You can't spend the way the Yankees do or the Dodgers do or whatever it is. So what? What do you have to have? Yes, you have to have talent. You you can't make as many mistakes, and you have to get the culture right. You have to get the people right. And I thought. Well, that that's kind of the same as every profession, really. And so that was sort of the the, the start of my business, which really led me to doing a lot of uh, podcast appearances like this or vice versa, having people on mine. And so to me, that's the beauty of it. I've always been a huge sports fan. Uh, I was always a very mediocre athlete at best. I'm not being humble. I'm surrounded by people that I work with that played at the highest level. I'm not one of them but I could always talk. I always liked to talk about sports, what I didn't realize that it would lead to so many other things to do as well.
0: It's kind of interesting. So you started your your speaking business. Um, when did you start that officially?
1: Started like late, maybe 2016. So there was still some of that high from the World Series, and you're only a year plus removed from that. That was still very fresh on people's minds. And I didn't know. I got, I'd never run a business before. I didn't know anything about business. I didn't know anything about the companies that I would eventually go and talk to, I, I knew a lot of the CEOs or I didn't even necessarily know them. They might've known me because they were sitting in the front row and they were watching. And so I knew I might have an in, I know people, I know how to connect with people. That's what I do with the athletes every single day. You know, I, I might've had as much in common with the, the big name CEO as I did the superstar athlete. I don't have their abilities with that, but I know how to connect. I know how to treat people. Uh, I, I know how to be around successful teams. And so so that sort of started, and, and I understood too that if I could just get in the door here in Kansas City while the Royals were hot, that I might be able to get a little bit of traction, uh, start to build this business. You know, if the Royals are in last place and they've been there every single year as they were, and now I'm trying to get in, yeah, maybe, you know, there were always the Rotary Clubs and the church groups that wanted to hear what was going on. Hey, how's our team doing? What, what's the outlook? Then it became, how can we dig deeper? How, how can we make people better? And it, it really, without expecting it to, kind of gave me a whole new purpose, which was which was cool. When you do something as long as I've done it, and something that you've dreamed of doing forever, you're going to get a little bored at times. Um, now, the easy way to fight that is wait, they pay me to talk about baseball every day. Life is good, but you know it's a it's a long season, good seasons or bad seasons. It's a grind. I mean, it's six to seven days a week for six months, and it does take a toll. But when you start going to the ballpark every day and you're looking for something more, you're looking for something beyond the wins and losses and that you can share with other people, it, it really changed the trajectory of my career.
0: So did you find out about the opportunity here in KC, or did you just knock on the door and say, hey, I'd love to come over here and do this? Well,
1: it was interesting because I found out about it just through a little bit of people talking, which they do in my business. And you know, I usually put my head down and go do my job. It was actually, ironically, I think there's some irony to this, um, Brian McRae, who played for the Royals for a lot of years. And I'd gotten to know him because at the time, his father, Hal McCrae, who was a Royals legend back in the day, was the hitting coach of the St. Louis Cardinals. I was covering the Cardinals and and Brian and I had hung out some. He'd come in, um, hang out doing some playoffs, I think, the year before. And he was one of the early reporters or baseball experts before MLB was doing a lot of online stuff. Now they've got people in every city and, you know, they've got websites in every city and all that. He was one of the early ones, and so he he let me know about it. And I think he might have been interested, too. He said, you know, that, the, that um, they're taking over to the Royals broadcast. And I thought, well, these are the people I'm already working for. I mean, it's not like they're walking into – my little cubicle or walking to find me at the stadium saying, hey, by the way, we're also taking over Kansas City. Would you like that? Or would you be interested? It's not. But as soon as I found out that was going on, I thought, wait a minute, this could be a better opportunity. This could be in in sports terms. This is going from the part time player to the the full time starter, uh, you know, and whatever you roll, however you want to put that. You know, there were some days that I was the guy. There were other days that I was off for doing other assignments so it was a chance for the first time in my career to, to to really specialize on one team, on one schedule, and then it became, okay, I like I said, I know Kansas City. I think that'd be a great place to be. Now I got to convince them that I'm the right person, which was a challenge too, because I was already in St. Louis. Oh, we're, we're good. You're here. Uh, well, no, no, no. I mean, I, I, I think this is a better opportunity for me, which confused a lot of people too because, you know, the Cardinals have a very long tradition and you know, I think if you talk to people in St. Louis, they would say, well, how could you possibly leave here to go anywhere else, let alone Kansas City? I would say, and I think this probably fits very well into the theme of this podcast, that not only was it the best move for me in terms of broadcasting career, and then I mentioned the speaking, but I am, we, my wife, now my kids, who are pretty little when we moved here, and, and are mostly grown now, we love Kansas City. And Not a knock on St. Louis or anywhere else, but I look at, it's very easy for me to go back and say, what was Kansas City like when I got here in 08? What is Kansas City like now? And I've seen incredible growth. So it's become a place that isn't just somewhere that was the next stop along the way. It was, I hope, the last stop along the way and still with a while left, I hope this is home.
0: Kansas City is is really a city that's on the move. Uh, we've got the World Cup coming. There's been a lot of major conferences coming here, um, and um, there's a lot of opportunities for growth in this city. Um, what do you feel like your role is in helping contribute to Kansas City's growth, you know, making it the best place in America to live, play, and work?
1: Yeah it's a it's a great question because first off, I think we all have a part of that if we want to. I mean, look, some people just go and do their thing, and they may love their city, they may not, and I think, and I hope most of us all love where we live. I learned a long time ago, you know, in, in my travels around baseball, it's very easy to take a shot at somebody else's city. Well, it's somebody's home, you know. I yeah. mean, I, everybody hopefully has pride in where they live. Um, do we have more pride than anyone else? I don't know. It feels like a lot of days we do. I don't really know a whole lot of other cities where the people that live there walk around with t shirts and sweatshirts with their own city name on it. You don't walk around New York and live there with an I Love New York shirt. It's a pretty dead giveaway that you're a tourist. Yeah, <laughs> Here, you see most people and they probably live here because they want to wear those Casey hearts and they want to wear all that stuff. But I, you know, I, I think to the question, we all have the ability to have a little say in that. We all have the ability to spread the word. Um, I think in my position, having a little bit or a, more than a little bit of a, a platform that I have more opportunities to do that. And so whether that means just bragging about Kansas City on social media, whether that means telling people all around the country about it, whether that means going to functions and events and, and supporting charities, uh, wh- whatever that might be, I think that, or, you know, it might just be that person that's buying the Charlie Hustle Casey Hart shirt and wants to brag about their city. I think we all have a chance to be able to, to brag about our city. I think I just have a greater opportunity because I'm gonna get up on stage and, and MC an event. I'm gonna go and and moderate this panel. I'm gonna to get to do those type of things and and um and then you know, traveling around the country and getting the chance to brag about where I live, where I'm from too. That doesn't have to be a Royals thing per se, but I'm gonna let everybody know that that we live in a really, really cool place and people should visit it and people should check it out. Hopefully not too, 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 too many because we still wanna be able to maintain what we have, be careful what you ask for. But, I, you know, I, there's nothing to me more exciting than family, friends, someone that I knew way back when that says, I'm coming in. This just happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, hey, I'm coming into town for, uh, you know, a buddy from back home in Chicago. I'm coming into town for the Bears and the Chiefs. Um, you know, I'd love to see you. Well, a couple things. One, I'm going to be out of town if the Chiefs are playing. We're probably out of town with the Royals, so I'm going to miss you. Two, sorry, you're not. it's not going to go well for you. You're going to lose big. <laughs> um, and, and three, uh, let me let me tell you where I think you should go. And then you start listing off the barbecue and you start listing off the museums and you start list, listing off the cool bars and, you know, on and on and on. That's a fun thing to be able to
0: do. Joel, one of the really interesting things about it is it feels like everything's kind of coming up Kansas City. Yeah. Um, Ted Lasso. I mean, it, was, it seems like every other episode there was a tie into KC. And, of course, we've got the the Kelsey Swift dynamic, whatever that is. Uh, di- di- I mean, look—it's not a bad thing for us, you know. I was just
1: saying this to <laughs> someone the other night. You know, the 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 purists—I'm mm-hmm. talking in terms of sports fans sure. or the diehards, whatever you want to call it. I've I've heard so many people so sick of hearing about her. Let's focus on football. I said, well, you can't control that, first of all. But if you want to focus just on football, you know, tune in to uh, ESPN, and you can watch your highlights. They're going to show her too. By the way. What I was trying to explain to some friends, and this is where I'm as much as I am knee deep in sports, and I've not covered the NFL for years. I did back in the day, um, but I, you know, I, I have a pretty good grasp of all American sports, having covered them at some point, and just understanding the rhythms of them, and not really being the, the traditional fan. Um, I'm a storyteller. I, I, I see things with less emotion. Not that I don't get excited about it, but it's on to the next one, on to the next one, and I'm just looking at this and I'm saying, do we really understand how small? football is compared to taylor swift's world well you know and there are all these memes or you know viral videos going on of who is this travis kelsey fella anyway is he any good and it's like yeah. are you kidding me like even even the average football fan in the united states knows that but guess what when you start looking at most popular figures around the world around the world patrick mahomes isn't making that list travis kelsey might have gotten a little bit closer right now it's taylor swift it's, um, you know, I always say, like, who, who's the Michael Jackson? Who's the Michael Jordan?
0: Beyonce was just Beyonce is Beyonce is, yeah. is,
1: is at that same level. You could argue more or, or less, too. But it's oftentimes the big soccer stars. Yeah. Uh, Lionel Messi, who right now has to be the, the uh, I'm assuming he's the highest paid and most famous sports athlete in America right now. And the bulk of Americans don't know who he is.
0: And they're selling out
1: stadiums. They're selling out stadiums. But that's the level it's a Beatles type of level. Yeah. It's a Stones type of level. It's a Michael Jackson or a Madonna type of level. Yeah. It's a Taylor Swift level. And so, it kind of has reminded me that we get so wrapped up in our world, in our city, in you know, whatever we love, which is great. So, now, if we have this greater world that's going to learn about Kansas City and the Chiefs and Travis Kelsey, and you see the what is Jersey sales are up 400%. I don't think that's a bad thing, and if that gets a little bit annoying that we get all the glamour shots and all that comes with it, well, I guess it's just one more thing of Kansas City being on the map. I mean, you mentioned Ted Lasso, and and you know any of us here that saw every little subtle reference yeah. uh, about you know some something that that Jason Sudeikis grew up with from his childhood in Overland Park, or you know some reference to. A barbecue or, or whatever it is, they're 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 on and on and on. I'll take that a step further to say that I, I've been lucky enough with my job for now the better part of 13 years, we missed a year with the pandemic, um, to interview all those guys that come back for Big Slick. I think probably the first couple of times it was like, oh my gosh, I'm interviewing Paul Rudd. And now it's just like, welcome home. You know, here's Paul Rudd. Here's Jason Sudeikis. Um, here, here's... Um, um, Rob Riggle and David Koechner and Heidi Gardner and and it's just like they're bringing all of their friends back here. The first year I think it was the first year he brought Will Ferrell here, and it's like we're exposing all of those people to Kansas City too. So yeah, I think we're very much on the map, and you don't see that in I don't see as much of that in a St. Louis or a, a Milwaukee or you know name whatever city. That is of this size. Not a knock on them. It's just a, a I think, a compliment to the growth that we've had here.
0: I, I've been thinking a lot about it lately because there's a lot of these different initiatives. So, um, the new Fresh Prince of Bel Air. That guy's from here. And there's been a. I got to be
1: honest. I didn't even know there was a new Fresh Prince. Of <clears throat> oh yeah, they, they did a new show. If you catch me during baseball season, it's like,
0: yeah, you know, well, you've got, you've got things. But um, um, they've been talking about, like, there's a burgeoning kind of uh, film community that's kind of coming back here. I mean, I, I met a guy the other day. It's like an Uber driver. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm from L.A. And we're working on shooting some stuff here. And uh, I was just like, "But you're driving Uber? He's like, oh, dude, it's on the weekends to meet people. He's like, it's a contact thing. And I thought it was just, it was really interesting. Sorry, sorry. Well, I mean, it was just different things. And uh, so I was thinking about, like, what is uh, one thing? Initiative or project that you've been involved in, or something that you know about Kansas City, you're pretty proud of. Or like, I'm really glad Casey's doing this.
1: So I was thinking about this on my way down here, and there there are a million things, and I'll forget a lot of them. And and that this isn't a look at everything I've done. It's more of just I'm I'm lucky that I have these opportunities. Like I said, this platform before, you know what what it really means is that you can only do so much, and so you have to say no. And there there's so many good causes. So let me go with something a little bit. I think deeper, that's not so much of a cause, um, but more of, I think, something that I'm proud of in St. Louis, or Kansas City should be proud of, is the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. When people ask me where to go and they come in, it's the first thing I tell them. Because I say, and I like the tie that it is, it is baseball since I'm a baseball guy, but I tell everybody it's not, it's not a baseball museum. It's a civil rights museum. It's an American history museum. I mean, if you walk in there, and one of the displays you'll see in there is all of these signed baseballs. They come from Getty Lee, the longtime lead singer of Rush. His donation, huh. he's a huge baseball fan. We just saw him. I say I saw him. I saw him. I don't think he saw me. Uh, but just saw him. We were in Toronto last month, and he was sitting in the front row. And then he walked off right by our, as we were doing our post-game show. I met him years ago for a quick handshake, and that was it. Because he's a huge baseball guy. But anyway, I I wanted to drop that Getty Lee line because there's again someone that knows that you wouldn't expect a lot about Kansas City and that has a specific donation at that museum. Anyone that is checking out this podcast right now, if you are in Kansas City and have never been to the Negro Leagues Museum, I will not shame you for not having gone. I will just encourage you to go. And I would say that anyone that has been there before, I am certain would back me up to say, you got to go back. And they would understand that because when you go through that museum, it's never enough time. You walk out saying, boy, I wish I had more time to have looked at this, this, and this. There's so many levels of this from the incredible baseball players that had they been given the access and granted the access and the inclusion before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, they would have been listed among the Babe Ruths or the Joe DiMaggio's, or the whoever it was as the best. And a lot of that was formed. I mean, the league was created right here in Kansas City. Some of the best teams, the the teams, the level of the Yankees, uh, were the Kansas City Monarchs. They were an institution. They were selling out games. They were barnstorming around the country. And this museum so beautifully um, captures all of that. And so for me, where I'm proud of this is that um, look, the, the people that work over at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and I never got to meet Buck O'Neill. I got here two years after he passed. Mm-hmm. The people at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum perfectly channel everything that Buck O'Neill was about and the legacy of, of all of these men and women who um, who were pioneers in baseball and who dealt with the same type of discrimination that others in all types of fields all over the country dealt with. And to have that right here in Kansas City, there are some smaller museums and tributes all around the country, but this is where it's at. And to have watched that when I got here, to have been kind of a cool little small thing, to blowing up bigger and bigger, and they minted coins to raise money, and there have been massive donations from all over baseball and around the country, and the world, and they're gonna end up in a new building, and and you could see the legacy being passed on and carried on here so it's not forgotten, right here in our own backyard. Then there happens to be Arthur Bryant's right down the street and, uh, you know, the great history of jazz in the neighborhood. And so, to me, that's something. Um, and just to put a cap on that too, last year we went, and I never miss games, but um, was fortunate enough to be given the assignment to beg for the assignment, really, because I, you know, this is where I'm at, wherever the Royals are out, I'm at. They brought someone to fill in for me, and I went to Cooperstown last um, July of 2022 for Buck O'Neill's um, induction into the Hall of Fame, uh, what, 16 years after his death. And he should have already been in. They messed that up. They got it right. And to have been there and, and done interviews and been a part of all of our normal pregame shows from Cooperstown, uh, our group just won an Emmy for that show. Uh, The other night, from what I'm told, I was busy working a baseball game and I got a text saying, hey, you know, we won an Emmy for the that meant a lot to be able to be a part of something that I think is truly Kansas City, but so much bigger.
0: Obviously, that should be on the kind of the short list. If you're coming to town, you know, there's a few things that should be on the list. Uh, We've got the National World War One Museum, which is
1: which is to me, one A and one B. I would tell people if you can get to both go to both. I wouldn't say one over the other. I think. You know, they're both American history. Yeah. Right? Both extremely powerful. You know, the, the and I, I'm, I'm sidetracking here, but I, you know, a handful of years ago, it's actually right when the pandemic was starting because we were doing a spring break with the kids and we were driving down to Florida and then everything shut down. Yeah. Like it, I just, it was different on the way home than it was on the way there. There was still stuff open and we stopped at the Martin Luther King Museum in, in Atlanta and, um. And, and this isn't a matter of what's more powerful or less powerful, but the feeling that I had walking in there was my first time in there was the exact same feeling I get when I walk in the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum here. Got it. It's so very, very powerful.
0: Going back to kind of this, this kind of historical look, what do you see as like unique opportunities or challenges coming to Kansas City in the next few years? Like what are things we're facing? What are we dealing with? What do you think? Or opportunities, either? All of the
1: above. Um. I mean, as far as challenges, unique challenges, I don't think they're all that different than any other city. Sure, We, we still have too much gun violence. Yeah. We have um, too many racial issues. We have too much still segregation. Um, I, I, I like to always say that our city is really moving so well. We look at, look at all the growth downtown. Look at the crossroads and what the crossroads yeah. was when I got here in 08 versus now. So I love seeing all that growth, but I think it's important to remember that that doesn't mean that we don't have major issues here in this town, the homelessness that everybody has in every city I go and and that that's every city right now, the crime, um all of it. so i I, I say that be because I think it's important to note that that as amazing as this place is, and it is, I mean, I will champion it everywhere I go. We still have our issues, too, and just because we're seeing all this growth doesn't mean that we don't have a lot of work to do. Now, as far as the positives, when I see new areas developing, when I see the growth, uh, whether it had been the crossroads, when you think about the World Cup coming here, the World Cup is something that is at a Taylor Swift type of level. Yes. Uh, Yes, it is. You know, and you could argue maybe even more so than her, because everyone around the planet is watching, and they chose to have some of those matches here. That's no small thing. The NFL draft, I think for those of us that don't follow it at the level of others, and I follow it casually, but you also have to remember that I don't really start paying good attention to the NFL until October. Yeah, And, you know, the draft is in April. Well, I'm already in baseball season. We're on the road somewhere. By the way, if there's any big event, World Cup, Beyonce, Guns and Roses, whatever it is here, there's a pretty good chance during baseball season almost certainly that we're on the road by design, right? You share a parking lot yep. with Arrowhead. But I was watching it like everybody else from out of town, and I'm like, this is so cool. Look at what they did to Union Station, which doesn't need any work anyway. Look at how well that showed up. Look at how amazing the whole rest of the world, or at least in terms of NFL, all of the football world is seeing it. It looked amazing. You go back and look at the Chiefs parades. You go back and look at the Royals parade, um, you know, all all ending up at at Union Station. And so I I see all those type of things, um, you know, whether people like it or not. And I understand that some will and some won't. I think we'll end up with a new baseball stadium downtown. That's hard for a lot of people, just like it is a new airport. In the end, it's going to be like, this is really cool. Yeah. But in advance, there are a lot of people that are saying, well, but this is what I've always done. Change is hard. But it feels like there's just more and more and more and more that keeps happening at this rapid pace. I don't know where it's going. Um, but even amidst the problems that we do have, I see growth here in this city that I'm not necessarily seeing in other places.
0: Um, just kind of talking about that for a second, you know, um, you know, from the World Cup to what's going on downtown. You mentioned the the new stadium, which is going to happen at some point. There's a debate about where it's going to happen right now. Um I think uh, I think North Kansas City North Kansas is, City or downtown they're they're making a play for it too I'm not sure how that all works I don't know about either um, Either way I mean I don't have a dog in this fight but um I think either way it'll be a good thing for the city just like the airport people kind of complained about that and then it came in and they're like man this is really cool I don't mind having a layover in KC now You know part of this and I
1: I hope this makes sense is that as much as we love our city If we want to love our city and tell everybody else about it, don't we want to do it with the best we can have? Telling people about how great Kansas City was with that old airport was embarrassing. You know, as I heard Sly James say once, this was built in 1973 for 1973, not for 2020-something. And for everyone that loved the convenience of walking right out of their car and walking in there, I get that. I get that anybody that lives here, for the most part, could care less if there's food because they already ate by the time they got to the airport. Now, try doing that when you have young kids and you're waiting and you're delayed and it's 7 o'clock at night and whatever was last open closed at 6. Okay, are these major problems? No, not really. But now you start hearing from people. And... I don't hear from a lot of the baseball people because the teams all fly charter, but you start talking to whether it be fans that come into town or a good barometer for me, because I know all these guys is the umpires. They felt they fly commercial and suddenly they start showing up this year and they're saying, Oh my gosh, your airport's legit. So imagine everybody that's coming into town for business or doesn't want to come into town to business because they're looking at that airport. Versus this airport, I have a funny story. I had an, uh, an umpire a couple of weeks ago that said to me, I think we're in Detroit. And he said, you know, I, I was, I think I'd been off on vacation or something. And so I was flying in on the first thing in the morning flight from, I don't remember where it was, Denver or something to Kansas city. And it was like five in the morning. So I got on the plane. I closed my eyes immediately. I slept, we landed. I got off the plane in Kansas city. And I walked out, I'm like, Oh, I think I'm in the wrong city. I think he thought he was in Orlando or something like that because he forgot he knew he hadn't been here yet. He knew there was a new airport, but being half awake and waking up to not seeing the old dump. And look, I get it. Like I'm calling it that I grew up before I moved to Chicago and Philadelphia. We moved when I was 13. My stadium growing up was veteran stadium known as one of the worst, biggest dumps of all time. I didn't care. It was my dump. I loved it. It's my childhood. So that, that brings me full circle when you're talking about a new baseball stadium, whether it's the right or wrong thing, I believe it's the right thing and and no one's asking me to promote this for the team. um I'm pretty sure they probably wouldn't want me being out there being like, "No stadium, yeah um, but I, you know I don't I, I stay out of the opinion stuff for the most part o- other than saying that I've been to every stadium in baseball, I've been to all thirty stadiums and another twenty something of them that are no longer around, and for the most part, the best ones are in downtown locations. um do you have to figure out some logistics, yeah, the parking and the infrastructure and the traffic flow and all those type of things. I trust that they'll do that because they know they have to. But seeing the life around a downtown stadium, um, Denver's a great example. It used to be a really bad area where they're at. And now there's all this nightlife and excitement. Um, I think it's growth. Again, it's, it's yeah. exciting. But I understand why people are hesitant because this is the way we've always done things. And it's my memories. It's my childhood. Well, you know what? There are people that grew up going to municipal that uh, I don't know if they were upset or not when the team moved over to, to then um, um, Royal Stadium, I guess they called it back then, now Kaufman Stadium. Um, but, you know, you move on. Yeah. And I hear people say, I'm never going. if it's." That-. Yes, you will. <laughs> and if you don't want to, that's fine, but, but you're welcome to come back anytime.
0: The, uh, the funny thing about it, just, um, just thinking about how the change has done things, I know that just um, for somebody who has to travel a lot for work, um, the, the new airport has opened up a lot more connection flights. So all of a sudden, if I have to open up my schedule and I have to go somewhere, there's... I don't know. There's, what, four non-stops in New York? I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of opportunities that were not there prior.
1: I think, you know, we're all sort of wired in some way or another to, whether we mean to or not, to say, how does this help me?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, there's a selfishness to it. And sure. I get that. We want to be able to... Eh, eh. And, and so I think that's it, right? That wait a minute, if if you're traveling, then you're going to start to notice it becomes easier to travel. There are going to be more nonstops or more flights to vacation spots. Okay, if you're not one of those people that travels a lot, or maybe you travel occasionally, um, I don't know. Maybe it's more money. Maybe it's more jobs. Maybe it's more. I I mean, I think we could rattle off, you know, dozens of benefits to all of this and. So maybe that's that's where you start. How how will this help me? Well, it'll help you because of this or this or this or this. For those of us that travel a lot, and I do, I travel with the team. So we fly out of downtown airport, incredibly spoiled. I'm just caught in the web of taking care of, you know, high-level athletes. And, and I get to be along for the ride. Um, but it's not like I'm not using, uh, you know, the new airport with my family. And it's been incredible. I, I, I And I walk through there. I'm proud when I walk through there. When I see all the the, the the glitz and the glamour and all the, you know, Kansas City, you know, the coffee shop and the gift shop and it's not, doesn't look like what it did before with the, all the Dorothy t-shirts and the, you know, just, it was like, it was brutal. You walked, you walked out before and it was like, yeah, we really are in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Now it's like, hey, this looks like a pretty cool place.
0: Yeah. How do you um, approach, and you've worked with all these different teams, which is, that is the definition of collaboration. And, and So how do you approach collaboration and fostering unity within your
1: field? You know, it, de- it depends on, let's start with just the, the baseball piece of it, because really I am collaborating with these athletes every single day. I think the common theme with all of this, whether you want to work with this organization or this charity or, like, let's be honest, when when we are extremely busy, for those of us that are, this could be a lot of people, um, think about that big time CEO that everybody wants a piece of, that big time athlete, or anyone. I mean, I'm an independent contractor with everything that I do. Um, that means that. You're probably wired in a way that you want to do everything and you have to figure out what, what should I say no to? What do I need to say no to? And a lot of us, myself included, don't say no very well. It's hard to say no. We want to, you know, many of us are people pleasers. I just want to work. I want to work with good people. I want to figure out. And so the, to me, the currency for all of this is people. And, and by the way, sometimes you don't have a choice you know, there are going to be some teams in some years that I'm going to have to deal with some difficult athletes. We've been pretty lucky here. I think being in a smaller market, developing a lot of homegrown talent, that there's enough time for me to build those relationships. So when I'm collaborating, so to speak, with the players, on the surface, that looks like, okay, I've got to ask questions. They hopefully are willing to give answers and that's it. Well, um, I spend time from spring training on and even when they're in the minor leagues of um, trying to build the relationships, not just with the players, but their families and hopefully build up enough trust that not only do they not say no to the interview they can, um, lucky enough they usually don't, um, that they give me good answers, thoughtful answers that they that that hopefully they they show a little personality, that they trust me enough to share their personalities with the fan base, which by the way, in this day and age is becoming easier and easier because the younger generation of players, what are they all about? They're all about the brand. The past generation was like, no, 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 we're here to play baseball. That, that stuff's all on the side. I don't want to bring attention to myself. Now it's, wait, when you bring attention to yourself, you have a chance to increase, you know, the money that you're making for a young guy that's not making and doesn't have the guarantees. That's a very appealing thing. So, you know, I'm collaborating with those players, with those coaches, with the front office and all of that every day. That to me is a collaboration with the fans. I want to be able to walk in the shoes of a fan and say, what are they interested in? what 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 can I show them or share with them that that they don't have so that part's easy though I mean that that's that's what I do every single day the The bigger question then becomes who do I want to work with in terms of speaking in terms of podcast guests in terms of how are you spending your time networking who he, there's only so much time for so many coffees and happy hours and lunches every day, which during baseball season is close to none for me when it's off season it's okay, here we are, the season's now over um I don't know if I can if I have it in me to do this seven days a week, but where, where, where can I go? Who do I want to meet with? Who should I try to meet with? And then you meet cool people and you say, you know what? I want to do some stuff with you. I mean, there've been a lot of really cool people in the business world that I've met where we've said, not really sure why we're meeting or what we're going to do, but we're going to do something and it's going to be cool. And sometimes that leads to just a really good cause, uh, a DEI panel, uh, whatever it might be. And so, but it'll, it'll come back to what I said. I mean, the currency is always people and Um, I think that that uh, I think that kind of translates and is accurate across any profession, sports, not sports, um, Kansas City, somewhere in wherever in the United States, uh, around the world. And then that's the other piece, too. Like a lot of the players that I'm working with um, don't speak English or they speak English as a second language. Um, They come from different cultures, different backgrounds. You know, how do you make that work? And so that that to me is the fun stuff every day.
0: So. You're really busy during the actual baseball season.
1: I what black you... out some. What's that? I black out some. Like, really? Just, just Hey, it was great seeing you last night at the ballpark. I don't remember at all. It's and it ready. might be a good friend too, yeah. but it's just like, yeah.
0: What do you, what do you, what really recharges the engines for you in the off season? I think I, I
1: I'm someone that needs to be busy. Got it. And I, I'm not going to sit there and, and sell you on that means that I'm all day long. I mean, I I need my downtime, I need to be able to relax, whether that means getting to a beach, or hiking, or whether that means just reading a book or listening to music or live music or whatever. Um, But for the most part, I want to be busy, you know, I want to I want to I want that calendar to be somewhat full. And so I'm in this kind of weird, but in some ways, just having the ability to do all the things that i don't get to do as much during the baseball season i mean I, I'm, I'm trying to touch my business every single day but there's not a day that goes by where i don't think during baseball season i'm not putting enough into this so in many ways it re-energizes me to be able to say okay now i've got the time to do this but also equally to that is i have the ability to say i don't want to do this today i don't have this in me today um, you know what let's push this back i need to post postpone Let's just take a day, I can't do that during baseball season. So I think that there's a freedom aspect to it. That doesn't mean I'm doing nothing. Um, it's, it's the opposite, but I have the control over it. Once that baseball season starts, I have very little control over the little extra things I can do, um, but I can't control that there's a game today. I can't control that it's the 18th straight day of doing a game. And so you're sort of in survival mode during the baseball season. What re-energizes me, I think, is to not have to be in survival mode in the off-season.
0: you speaking business. What do you love about doing that?
1: Oh, it's interesting because I think I have a, the ability with the platform to make an impact on people every single day. And that doesn't have to be as a motivational speaker. That could just be coming into someone's living room that's having a bad day and sharing a fun story about Salvador Perez and it puts a smile on their face or someone that's laying in a hospital bed or someone that's watching overseas serving our country. And I've talked to, you know, so many people like that. Um, So that's, you know, that from a baseball standpoint keeps me going on the slowest days, but there's something different about getting on stage. You know, it's, it's like a live studio audience. They're there to see me They're not there to see the game. Now, I would argue that the game is probably more exciting than me, although there's some nights that maybe it's not, Um, but I'm going to make sure that they have a memorable experience. And I love the fact that I can get up on stage, whether it be here in Kansas City or around the country, uh, and speak to just a wide range of groups in professions that I have no interest in being in. When last year, I was in San Diego for a conference of of 300 endodontists. I don't know a (laughs) thing about root canals. But I know I know about building teams. I know where we're at in this world right now, where it's hard to retain employees. I know that if you are uh, an endodontist running a practice, or fill in the blank for any other profession, how are you keeping, uh, you know, your paralegal? How are you keeping your technicians? How are you keeping the, uh, you know, the receptionist? How how are you keeping those when the old days of you stay this long at a job? Those are over, right? We live more in a gig economy right now, and so. If I have a a chance to get on stage and provide some perspective to be able to help people find a little bit of their purpose and why they do, to explain to them how to better communicate or how to communicate across generations. If I'm 51 years old and I can connect with a 23-year-old athlete, you can too. And so, that to me is a totally different feel, almost at a higher level then what I do on television, you see the faces, you get the reaction. They want to come up afterwards and thank you. Um, some will send you a little message saying they didn't like you so much either. So that becomes more like TV and social media. That's fine. But for the most part, get these messages, hey, you really inspired me to I'm not happy right now with my job, but until I find something else, you've given me the motivation to, to keep pushing forward. You've given me this, you've given me that, and it's like, wow. I might have just helped somebody's life. Yeah, that's not anything I ever signed up for. That's not anything I. I tell all my audiences never underestimate the power of a dream, and dreams are blurry and confusing, and eventually they make sense or they don't. I started doing this because I like to talk and I love sports. I didn't think about the person in the hospital bed watching the game. I didn't think about the person miserable at their job that suddenly feels a little better about it. And so there's an incredible high getting off the stage. Um, of Oh, I think I just helped somebody that that's a really, really cool thing.
0: Is there a, p- a personal experience or a lesson that's kind of inspired you or shaped your career or perspective? I mean, you've got an interesting perspective on things. I was just wondering, like, what is there something you can point out and say, you know, this was one of those moments. Well, one of the moments I talk about in most
1: of my speeches, and I'll, I'll give you sort of the less performance, you know, onstage version of this, but um, it really is a signature story. Um, is no one ever coming up, and this isn't just a like journalism 101, how to be a broadcaster. But when I went to college, I went to the University of Wisconsin and Madison, and I went through their J school, and I did a couple years of internships and all that. Nobody ever taught us how to build trust. They taught us how to set up cameras and lights and how to ask questions and, you know... Hey, you need to look at the camera this way, and you know all those type of things, right? How to write, how to edit. Well, how do I earn the respect of the players, and or or if you're covering local politics, how do I, you know, connect with the politician? How do I I on and on and on? And I never knew how to do this. And my last year in St. Louis, and I had been at that point with Albert Pujols for seven years his first 7 years in the big leagues and it became very apparent quickly that he was one of the bright up and coming stars to hands down the best player in the world i couldn't get the interview with him i'd say maybe one out of every 10 times he might agree to do it but for the most part he would walk by me and say no or shake his head or just ignore me and you know i'm just, how do i get this guy what do i have in common with a guy that is the best player in the world and i'm just some guy talking and the very short of the story is that I pulled him aside in 2007. We were in Houston, Cardinals playing the Astros, and I walked up to him. I was very nervous, and I said, hey, can I talk to you in private? I have some questions I wanted to ask you, and they're, they're not for the broadcast, and there's no camera. I think that piqued his interest. He said, sure, let's go to the visiting batting cage. We did. And for those that don't know, um, not too far from where we're recording right here, Um, Albert Pools went to junior college here. Uh, Before that, he'd gone to high school here in Independence. Uh, The reason, um, he'd grown up in the Dominican Republic, his family moved to the States to New York when he was 16, and I don't know all the background of the story, but they had a lot of family in the Kansas City area. You know, what do people do when they they immigrate to somewhere like the United States? They oftentimes go where family and friends have gone, right? That's where you have the pockets of... um, you know, Somalians in Minneapolis or Bosnians in St. Louis or here. I think there's a nice Sudanese population. Somebody comes over, they, they you know, they make a living for themselves um, and, and they, they come here. So um, they had family here and they ended up in the Dominican or um, from the Dominican yeah. to New York to Kansas City. He had an off-season, uh, off-season home still here. So I said, Albert, I, I had this job opportunity in Kansas City next year. This is when I was pursuing that. I said, nobody knows that this is going on um, but my wife and my boss. Um, so I hope you'll keep this quiet. But could you give me any advice about Kansas City? And we talked for 10 minutes about a little bit about life and why he thought Kansas City was a great place and you know, a great place to raise a family and on and on and on. And we wrapped it up. He said, Hey, um, two things. One, I promise I won't tell anybody. And two, let me know when you find out. And I had goosebumps because I'd never had a real conversation with him before.
0: Mm.
1: And a couple weeks later, I found out got, I was going to get the job the next year. We're in Milwaukee. I tell him in the hotel lobby, he takes me out to lunch. Uh, Oh my gosh. The greatest player in the world who I really did not like three weeks ago is now taking me out to lunch. And what happened over the years, I came here and then they'd come into town and I'd get the one-on-one interview with Pujols. And then he went to Anaheim for $300 million or whatever it was. And uh, he, by the way, when I when I came here, he tried to sell me his house. Ha! Huh. He's like, it's only 5,000 square feet. And I'm like, I, you know, I, I don't, we don't really make the same amount of money. Um, and we had a good laugh about that. But um, over the years in Anaheim, I'd get the one-on-one, there's me with Albert Pujols, says he was getting all these milestones. And, and you know, even as recently as last year, where I've got him on camera with me doing a one-on-one, last time I've interviewed him, uh, before he retired laughing hysterically. And it's like, I couldn't get this guy to smile to save my life. And the, the sort of punchline, it's not a punchline, but the, the, the piece of the story that brings it full circle is I, I went up to him, I don't know, four or five years ago and I said, hey, I, I've got a confession. He said, what's that? I said, you know, we've built a nice relationship over the years and I'm, I'm really grateful for everything you've done for me. But I just got to let you know, you used to look, scare the living daylights out of me. And he got really embarrassed. He got red in the face and he said to me, you know, everybody wants something from me. Once I trust you, I'll do anything for you. And that was the moment in my career, 2007, that I took with me to Kansas City to say, look, we're all guilty of putting people on a pedestal. Oh, that's the big wig. That's the superstar. That's that's the Taylor Swift. That's the, I mean, it's so silly. I can walk around the stadiums and sometimes people will be like, hey, 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 there's Joel Goldberg. I'm like, just a person. I'm right here. Now, I don't think I'm that big of a deal, but maybe to them in that moment, I am. We forget sometimes that, back to the whole people piece to this they're just people and when you learn to treat people even the biggest superstar like a normal person i'm not saying they don't want some perks every now and then but when you can treat them and not be awkward with them and actually have normal conversations it's amazing what comes back and forth with that and so that really taught me that these baseball players they're just like you and i they're living unique circumstances. They might be making more money. They might have freakish abilities. They all do, by the way, I even mean, the worst of them, right? I mean, I, I can't swing and hit it at a hundred miles an hour. If you think you could time that out, let's let's throw a curveball to you right after that, and then see how you do. So, um, that was the big moment for me. Was and there've been a lot of them. Is is uh, coming here was a big one, um, because it changed the course of my career. I mean, I've done, I don't know, two thousand, three thousand pre and post game shows and. Um, you know, I can't remember what happened three weeks ago in a game necessarily, but I've been here for all of it. So it's it's pretty cool.
0: So, um, that brings me to a very, very important question I have to ask. Um, best barbecue in Kansas city. So I'm not going to be
1: totally political on this because what I've come to learn is that everybody has their own favorite. I don't know that there's a wrong answer. I mean, we could tell each other there's wrong answers, but you know, put it to you this way when someone is coming into town i think that's the, that's the way to ask it when someone comes into it's town where time. are you telling them to go um, to me my two favorites are jack stack and you know i i married into a family that lived here for a lot of years and you know their childhood was going to smokestack in martin city uh, you know i mean i've heard the story a million times nothing existed out there but you know smokestack and maybe jess and jim's or something i don't know um, so I was indoctrinated into cheesy corn and all of that right from the beginning. And um, I, I really don't think you could ever go wrong with Joe's. And I and know. And now it's Joe's. It was Oklahoma Joe's, whatever. Like if, if people are coming to town, I, I want to send them to the original gas station and just say, just go experience that. But I've also sort of had this desire, it's probably never going to happen, uh, of trying to go to every barbecue place that exists. I'm sure I'm not the only one and that that's a slippery slope too, because what, what qualifies, what doesn't qualify, what, what, what is new and opening, uh, is it just Kansas city? I mean, I, I sort of like the, um, we've done this a few times, but sort of like the, I don't know, the romanticism, if you will, of, of going to some small town in the country, 30 minutes away, two hours away and just checking out, you know, what they have. but it feels like there are always new places opening up. And there's new, you know, I think I was reading recently, we still haven't gone yet, of a new, like, um, um, Thai barbecue fusion type of place. I'm like, sign me up for that. That sounds really yeah. good, too. Um, but for me, it's those two. Um, I want to try to get out to all the little mom and pop places, too, because I think that that's, you know, they they do things a little bit differently.
0: Is there anything, like, what What would you say is what really helps Kansas City stand out amongst, you've traveled a lot. What makes us stand out as a city?
1: I think the people are great here. I mean, I, you know, beyond what I said about people, or people and all of that, like people are friendly here. People are, um, I think some of that is everything we've been talking about. People want to show this city off. Yeah. People want to brag about this city. You know, I think there are other places where it's like, you're not from here. We're here. It's like we we want you to be from here. Yeah. We want you to come here. Um, so I love that. I love. I don't know that this is answering it, but I I love the fact that we are in an area. This is a sports piece, but like I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm I'm wearing. I think I'm wearing a Kansas shirt right now because I am paying for tuition uh, right right <laughs> now. There, you know, one of my two kids go to KU, so yeah, we're writing checks there. I'm going to root for them. Um, I also think. You know, going to a game at Allen Fieldhouse and watching a basketball, basketball game for a sports fan, it's a pretty religious experience. But I love that we have this area with three major Division I programs within two hours with KUK State and Mizzou. You add in Iowa State's not that far that far away and they come in massive numbers to the big 12 tournament every year. I haven't mentioned the big 12 tournament. That is one of the great parties and events. And I haven't been to it enough because some years I'm at spring training. Sometimes, sometimes I'm home, but I love the fact I noticed this when I moved here that you can have people in the workplace or within even households that really dislike each other just because they went to KU and K state. And it makes for such a fun, friendly competitive. Like most places you go, okay, this is the team. Mm Oh, here's the contrarian that likes the Cowboys or the Yankees or whatever it is. But here you expect to hang your KU flag and your neighbor next door hates KU because they (laughs) love K-State or Nebraska or, you know, Iowa or Iowa State or or Mizzou. I think that makes Kansas City very unique as well and makes this one of the best sports towns because people become very opinionated and they don't all have the same opinion.
0: Are there any local events, organizations or places that people should know about? Like you're like, hey... I'm on the podcast. Um, I want to say this is something people should know about.
1: Um, Well, I mentioned the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. I mean, I'll I'll still always go back to that, you know, go there. Um, There are, I mean, it's across the board, you know, whether it be a major organization like a Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and I did some fundraising for them. Uh, I'm, I'm not a good fundraiser, by the way, either. I, but it's an organization I believe in. I don't like asking people for money. Um, some people are much better at that than me. I could not uh, be raising capital for any company. Um, but you know, like uh, a really cool event I did last year, I, I just MC'd it. Um, you're not going to get me on stage otherwise. Is this um, Dancing with the Stars or whatever they call it to benefit do Rey? I don't dance, um, but I'm happy to talk about people dancing. And it was so cool the vibe in that room um and they're raising money for Crystal Ray Crystal Ray is an incredible school and you know kids coming from uh you know lesser um, socioeconomic backgrounds that are oftentimes the first one to go to college in their families they're breaking cycles um that that's one that the Shermans are very involved into um so i, I you know i really love what they're doing i i mentored kids for a few years at Crystal Ray there are opportunities everywhere you know my wife is involved um, in a program called lead to read. She was just there today. And I think it's less than an hour or 30 minutes a week and going and, and reading with the younger kid, um, and exposing them, you know, to the importance of literacy at an early age to, to change the trajectory of their lives. There, there are so many things here in this town.
0: So, um, everything that we've talked about on this podcast today will be listed in the show notes and on YouTube. So people can go get involved. If they want to get involved with you and support your initiative and things you're doing from your speaking business, etc., um, how would you ask, how would you suggest they do that?
1: Well, website is joelgoldbergmedia.com. That's the best way, and and within there, there's all the contact page and all that. Uh, easy to find on social media too. But we'll get a lot. You know, the, the email attached to that website is info at joelgoldbergmedia.com. And of course, I want to go speak to any group if it fits, if it makes sense, you know, and and all of that. Um, love sort of the the ability to speak in town and out of town, meaning that I like to get out of town because it's it's a different group of people and it becomes less of a Kansas City thing. Meaning, can these stories about baseball and the Royals still work elsewhere? They do, um, you know, but then when I'm here to be able to drive down the street, you know, and to go speak downtown at the Sheridan or, uh, you know, at the Overland Park Convention Center, or all that, um, so, you know, it, it's all it's all about teamwork, leadership, culture, um, everything that goes in, really the soft skills of any, any business, and, you know, always interested in, in any opportunities with that.
0: I know this brings us to the end of the show, but I do have to ask, what's required for the Royals to go back to the World Series again?
1: Let's see. Better pitching, better hitting, better now.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> which is going to be, by the way, the case for any team that, that doesn't make it. You know, this is I have an even greater appreciation now For what they did in 2014 and 15 than I did at the time. And I knew like everybody else that we were going through something that was incredibly amazing. You talk about pride in a city. Um, And that's why sports and these stadiums are so important. And it's oftentimes framed as it should be in a, well, wait a minute, shouldn't education be more important? Should be? Yes. But what sports can do for a city to bring people together not to mention the economic impact is huge, and you know I think that part of the piece of them getting back does it guarantee they're going to get there if they build a new stadium? Of course not, um, but as they move forward, um, attracting players to come here, um, being a place that is is ahead of the times, not behind the times. People still think and know Kauffman Stadium is a beautiful place. Can we have something better? Can we have something more modern? Can we have something not just for the fans, the players, everybody involved, um, that is an easier place to be successful? But there, I mean, this is what I gonna call it a loaded question? This is a question that uh, an answer I can give you for you know the next ten hours. Um, they've got to do everything better. But you know, they they just finished their third year with a new owner. They just finished a year with a brand new manager. They have this is very similar to business. They have really. Um, Really gone knee deep into all the analytics and all of the everything technology that a lot of other teams already had, and they were behind in some of that. You have to be up with the times on all of this type of stuff. And the other piece that I will give you, um, they've got to develop all this. They've got to be able to. The, the coaching staff did a great job this year, uh, as 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 frustrating of a year as it was. They have one of the, I believe, the top ten most exciting players in baseball, and Bobby Witt Jr. He's 23 years old, and he is, in my 16 years here, hands down the most talented player that they have had on their roster of the hundreds and hundreds of players that I've covered here. Um, and he's just getting started. I mean, he just had a season in terms of statistics that no Royals ever had before, and he's just he did that in the second full season in the big leagues. So he's a big piece. And then people say. Well, they won't keep him that long. They can't afford him. Right now, they're trying to sign him to a long-term contract to keep him here longer than four more years, and maybe it's six or seven or eight more years or something like that. It starts with him.
0: Got it. Well, uh, Joel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Pleasure. This has been wonderful.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the KC Leaders Podcast. Please remember to like, share, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen. For more information about this podcast, you can visit kcleaderspodcast.com. Don't forget to check out our other great podcasts like The Buck Stops Here, streaming now on all major platforms and at thebuckstopsherepodcast.com.